Here we go, hour number three. Good morning, Bob Thomas sitting in for Phil on News Talk 98.7. It's 8.09. High today is going to be about 58. We're sitting around freezing right now, but that's good because I remember when it, we were so far away from freezing, we couldn't even get there. Uh, this hour is going to be a lot of fun. i got a special guest in the studio here with us. Um, uh, this young lady's name is Natalie Rice. She is a researcher at the Center for Information and Communication Studies at the University of Tennessee. She has a Ph.D., and her research is focused on the use of digital and social media disinformation, propaganda, and other information warfare techniques used by uh, state actors targeting the U.S. and foreign audiences. It's really kind of crazy because I read more about this, and she's very interested in Russia's foreign policy, which part of that has been um, meddling in uh, U.S. affairs and probably other countries as well. So welcome to the News Talk, Natalie Rice. How are you? I am doing wonderful, Bob. Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, we're glad you're here, and um, we, there's a lot that we can get into here. So, you know, you guide me if I get off on a crazy tangent or something. But uh, just a 60-second a, a on your background of how you've become involved, in, uh, and this has been your study Yes, well, I've been interested in Russia and Russian foreign policy and public opinion for many years, mm -hmm. and my dissertation was about the rise of anti-Americanism under the Putin's rule. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, when they started meddling in other countries' affairs and they started a war, this is a pretty important topic right now. Mm -hmm. And I am also part of the project at the University of Tennessee that is sponsored by the Department of Defense. We have a project that we're looking at the effectiveness of Russian propaganda in their neighboring countries, including in Ukraine. So that gives us very interesting data in the context of what's going on in Ukraine right now. So uh, for one thing I just want to hit on very briefly, Russia really does um, support uh, the propaganda that's going on that got um, tried to influence U.S. elections, right? That was the case. There were many reports published by the intelligence community in the United States that mm -hmm. was showing that for years Russia has been trying to meddle in American elections as well as in the elections in the European Union and other parts of the world. And that definitely was the case in 2016 and that was the case in 2020. And the interesting thing about it, that if you think about the Soviet Union, which of course used propaganda trying to change public opinion around the world, mm -hmm. the difference now is that authoritarian states, China, Russia, other places, now have direct line of communication with audiences around the world, including here in this country, mm -hmm. because of the social media. Yeah, you know, I was talking about that earlier. Somebody can say something in 15 seconds, it's around the world. <laughs> Absolutely. And there are no gatekeepers anymore. Yeah, as we know. I saw this uh, statement in uh, said Twitter released more than 9 million tweets that were created by um, this group there that does the propaganda for Russia uh, out of St. Petersburg. Mm -hmm. And they would get both. They would uh, they would pretend like they're people in America that were upset about this, that, or the other, and they'd be on both sides of the topic. You are absolutely right. <laughs> that place is called the uh, Internet Research Agency, IRA, and it's yeah. three building, three-story building in St. Petersburg. It's a troll factory, how they call it. And actually, some of my colleagues and I were looking into these tweets, and Bob, you are absolutely right. It's not that they were just trying to push one political agenda. They were trying to create chaos, and mm -hmm. that is why they were trying to 
push out uh, the most aggressive uh, policies and positions on both sides of the aisle and right. get people angry and get people arguing with each other to create chaos in American public life and the American elections. You know, I've often thought that there's about 10% of the people that are so far right that they're just way out there from the average person, and there's about 10% so far left that also are just, you know, the the people in the middle just don't understand it. But the more you can get those people growing and talking and then pull some of that middle out and then all of a sudden you've got a bigger uh far left and far right and then there you get the chaos ensues kind of thing do, do you think they had an effect on those elections that is a very very difficult question to answer and i don't think that even uh public officials in this country have you know specifically said something one way or the other what we do know is that they were trying to meddle and they were trying to create chaos and they were trying to create the disagreement Mm-hmm. And because of the presence of the social media, they could pretend to be regular Americans expressing positions that were on the far right or the far left, and there is no way to check. And that is so different because if you think the way media was functioning before social media, right. if you think about 70s and 80s and 90s where you had media, big media organizations that had editors, that had gatekeepers, and this is how the majority of the people were getting their information. So if you would imagine, let's say, Russia or China or the Soviet Union trying to push some kind of messages out, how exactly are you going to get this to the American public? It is very different now when you could have a set of trolls that just know English, that know public opinion, that know what buttons to push in the United States or in Europe Mm -hmm. and how to try to meddle and create this discontent and discord. Yeah, I think that uh, even news agencies, like you said, there's a lot of gatekeepers, actually. You got uh, the publisher, the editor, you know, the person writing the story. I mean, there's so many different places where the the whatever this topic may be can change or get cleaned up, uh, if you will. Uh, and uh, social media, whether it be Facebook, Twitter, or um, um, <clears throat> Instagram. Or even now, TikTok, uh, there's just nobody watching it. And and before we, we're going to go to break in a moment, but TikTok, I've been reading more and more about that, that that is China's, and I don't know if it's true or not, if China really is controlling TikTok to use that to gather information on people in America, or is that propaganda? And I don't know the answer to that, but you may have an opinion. We'll come back and we'll uh, ask you about that. As we get further and further into this about Russian, uh, Russia, and I want to ask you about Putin and also about his invasion of Ukraine as we go out through this hour. Natalie Rice joining us from the University of Tennessee uh, Research for the uh, Center of Information and Communication Studies. Uh, she is with us in studio this morning. 816, Bob Thomas for Phil on News Talk 98.7. Let's see how our traffic goes. Good job. Some of the greatest uh, rock songs is kind of what we've been using for our uh, bumper music this morning. Now get your blood boiling, getting getting you going. If if talking about Russia and Putin won't get your blood boiling, I don't know what what will, though. 820, good morning. It's News Talk 98.7. You want to be part of the show, you can make your call to 656 
talk, and we would love to hear from you and be part of the show. And if you have a question for our, our guest here, Natalie Rice, uh, who has a Ph.D., and she her research is focused on the social media disinformation propaganda and things like that uh, for Russian, and, uh, and we appreciate her being in the studio with us this morning. You know, I saw where the, uh, let's see, uh, the France said they would help out Ukraine with $220 million in credit to purchase weapons. I guess that means you can purchase weapons from us. We're giving you a line of credit. Uh, Natalie Rice, uh, before we left, I mentioned TikTok. Do you think all that stuff, and this is your personal opinion, do you think TikTok is a China um, agency using that to get information on Americans? You know, I don't have enough information to express my opinion specifically about China and TikTok. But nonetheless, we do know we have reports and we have proof that Russia has used their own social networks that mm -hmm. they have developed for a very long time to gather information about users inside Russia and outside. Mm -hmm. And then using this data, understanding what people think and how to express themselves in order to push propaganda messages in them. So that is a that is something that is a pattern that the authoritarian countries have been doing for a while. Does Russia allow TikTok in their country? I don't think it has been banned so far. Since the beginning of the war, there has been several Western social networks that were banned. For mm -hmm. example, Instagram, Facebook yeah. has been banned. Really? Yes. YouTube is still there. But it's interesting, probably one of the reasons why they still have not banned YouTube, although there is a lot of independent information about the war in there, is because the Russian propaganda machine, they are propagandists, they're uh, talking heads using YouTube to deliver their messages, and they have ah. very high viewerships. Okay. So they're using it themselves. So they probably would like to uh, limit the access of the Russian public to it, but they still want to be able to use it. So... Um Putin has uh, been in his, uh, he'd been president of, of Russia, you said, since what year? 1999. Okay. So, and he probably got there because he was an excellent student in college and then he got <laughs> his degree and, and then he uh, probably did a lot of community service and worked his way up, right? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah. and, and he was a KB, KGB agent for a long time. Was he? Okay. Absolutely. He was serving in uh, Eastern Germany at some so, point. So how did he get where he was? There is now, I mean. Well, he was um, picked by Boris Yeltsin, who decided that he will retire in 1999. And he was the head of the FSB, which is the modern-day Russian version of the, of the KGB, the security services. And uh, he probably was picked because Yeltsin was involved in a lot of corruption scandals and mm -hmm. his family. And there were conversations about them stealing a lot of money from the budget. So when he decided to retire, he needed to get a person that would not go after Yeltsin and his family. Oh, my God. They wanted to get somebody loyal to the family, and they wanted to get somebody that would just let Yeltsin retire, live the rest of his life, leave his family alone. And that's exactly what happened. There was no investigation, no corruption investigations, nothing. Wow. And so he has now been the president by um, almost selection. Absolutely, without a question. Even uh, three to four months before Yeltsin has announced that he is picking Putin as his successor, nobody in Russia had any idea who Vladimir Putin was. Mm -hmm. That's why for their PR uh, uh, support, it was difficult to all of a sudden create this image of Putin as a strong leader when people had no idea who the Separatchik was. So there are all these pictures with him with his shirt off and riding a horse and 
and it looked like he's going to save the world or, or, or do something or be very powerful or whatever. <clears throat> is that manufactured or as far as you know, is that the way he's been his entire life? He has been a very gray apparatchikal of his life. So all of this is completely manufactured just mm. because he had nothing on his resume, nothing that he has actually done in life to mm -hmm. become the leader of, of Russia, of this country. So all of this was completely generated just to kind of feed into this desire of the Russian society that they had back then to have a strong hand and a strong leader. Now, was it uh, Gorbachev that was blamed for the fall of the Soviet Union? Yes, uh, Gorbachev was, of course, the, the head of the Soviet Union uh, at the time when the Soviet Union collapsed. And it is interesting because Gorbachev is viewed around the world as this leader that ended the Cold War. Exactly. I and mean, he was, uh, other countries think of him as a wonderful uh, human. Uh, 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 somebody pulled put people together. Absolutely. Instead of... Um, you know the what most of the leaders were known for like when you go back to kennedy and uh, khrushchev and uh, people like that so uh, if you put all of the the leaders of russia in the last in the modern time in the last um, 100 years is putin going to be known as one of the most powerful or have been others that are viewed differently in russia from the inside out if things would change in Russia, if they would transfer from authoritarian state as they are right now into a real democratic society, mm -hmm. then I think he would be viewed with real contempt because he inherited Russia again in 1999 when he was first elected. And it was a country with a lot of resources and with huge potential for economic development. And he wrote the high gas prices and high oil prices for the next 20 years. But at the end of the day, he has thrown away this potential that Russia had to be a strong, modern, economically successful country for this war. So whenever people will wake up and see things for what they actually are, they will have all the contempt for him, for what he did to that country. And Ukraine, of course, without a question, causing millions of refugees, hundreds of thousands of dead civilians. He will be viewed as a war criminal. What's the average age of uh, people of Russia? I mean, is it similar to where, like in the United States where we've got these baby boomers, you know, they're, they're moving out, or is it a younger um, generation that leads that country? or It is an older population. It is. And okay. they have a very big problem with not having enough uh, young people mm -hmm. and just not, you know, not having enough families. And it's interesting to see if you look at the public opinion polls that it is the older generation that supports Putin the most. So those people that were not just born in the Soviet Union, but that lived most of their life in the Soviet Union, they support Putin. They're the ones. All right, we're going to take a break. We're talking with Natalie Rice, who's an expert on Russia and their uh, uh, propaganda and, and uh, how they wage war. And we're going to ask her more about the invasion of Ukraine, what Putin did there come, when we come back. It's 828 from News Talk 98.7. Stay with us. I think this is rather apropos. <laughs> Conversation with the devil. Putin. 
Great introduction. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hey, good morning. 838 from News Talk 98.7, the news and talk of East Tennessee. If you want to join us, 656-TALKING, Talker, Texas. And uh, in the studio here with us is Natalie Rice, who is... Um, I, you know, an expert on Russian uh, and Putin and uh, what they've been doing, and how they do it. And uh, before, when we talk about Putin, and before I ask you about the invasion of Ukraine, I always heard, you know, every leader of Russia always had their little, uh, like, seven or eight guys around them that really told them what to do and how to do. I'm betting it's not that way with Putin. Am I wrong? Well, I think he's making decisions by himself. And it doesn't mm-hmm. look that there are a lot of people around him in his inner circle that can influence him. Mm-hmm. And there was, before, right before the invasion to Ukraine started, there was a meeting with his security council when he was asking questions, saying, would you support recognizing those so-called independent republics were really are part of Ukraine? Right. And he talked to these people on his security council as if they were school children. And they were so terrified of having to speak to him on camera. Mm. Even even people from the military, even the head of his security services, they were terrified of him. So he doesn't come across as a person that can be easily influenced. Do you think his invasion of Ukraine was strictly his decision to, to try to... I'm, I'm assuming the invasion of Ukraine may just be the beginning of trying to gather back in all the territories that were lost in the fall of the USSR. Am I wrong? What do you think? I think in a way you're right. And I do think that it was his personal decision to start the invasion. But I think it's important to say that, you know, he has been in power again for over 20 years. And he has been an authoritarian leader for over 20 years. So that makes you live in a bubble. You only have people around you that are saying yes, sir, to you all the time. Mm -hmm. And that puts you into this information bubble where everybody agrees with you all the time. And that's why I think nobody told him, hey, this is going to be a really bad idea. Because what he thought is going to happen is that they literally will take the capital of Ukraine, Kiev, in three days. And that the Ukrainian army is just going to give up. And that he will take this country as easily as he took Crimea in 2014. Now, he was very wrong about that. And we yeah. see now, after nine months of horrific war, for how wrong he was. But that is because when you surround yourself only with people that agree with you all the time, that's what happens. Yeah, you, you, you can only hope it what you think is correct. Exactly. So this Ukraine invasion, it's not gone as you just said, as he had expected. Do you think there's an he knows the end game here? Does he have an out? Does he... Or has he already done enough to disrupt Ukraine to where it's not what it was anyway before? In a way, he has disrupted it in a way that it's not where it was before, but not how he expected to do it. Mm -hmm. It was the opposite. Has he lost face with, you think, with the people that were on his side? Uh, Without a question. And as I said, Ukraine is one of the countries that we study in our project at UT. And Mm -hmm. so we do public opinion polling even now when the war is going on. So we have results of the polls from Ukraine. And before the war, there was about a third to 45% of the country, mostly living in the East, that were very pro-Russian. They Mm -hmm. spoke Russian language and they were supporting Putin and his policies in many different major ways. After the war started, and definitely now, nine months later, it's completely different. Mm 
the country is unified against Russia. So by initiating this war, he has lost that support of 35 to 45 percent of people that he used to have. So mm. that completely backfired on him. It, and as we talked about, mostly um, the country is mostly older. They were basically they were drafting people to get into their army, weren't they? They have started the draft in uh, September because the war was not going the way they were expecting it to go. And they have drafted about 300,000 people. But there are so many problems with that because they don't have enough equipment. They're not training these people. They are just sending them to die in Ukraine for no reason. So even introducing the draft, so far we don't really see the outcome that they were hoping to see on the ground in Ukraine. You know, we lived it here in America during the Vietnam War of people that didn't agree with the war, and we were doing the draft and talked about that and so forth. <clears throat> and people went to Canada. Can people, I mean, what, what are the young people there that are potentially going to be drafted to be into this war that evidently a third or more of the people don't want? Are, what are they doing? Are they are they protesting? Are they leaving the country? Or what is what can they do? Bob, that's a fantastic question, and you're absolutely right in asking it. Uh, since the beginning of the war, over a million people, most of them young men, have left Russia, which is a huge number. Wow. Those are the people that are running away from being drafted or running away from uh, being prosecuted for expressing their opinion that is against the war. A million people is a lot. And they went everywhere to all the different neighboring countries just because they didn't want to go and kill Ukrainians. In terms of the protests, um, that's a hard question because from one perspective, according to the public opinion polls conducted by the so-called Levada Center, the best pollsters in Russia, you still have about 70% of Russians saying they would vote for Putin in the next election, even today even with how badly the war is going. So mm. the support for him is very strong. At the same time, for those people that would want to protest, Russia has been an authoritarian state for a long time, but they're turning into a police dictatorship at this point because they have introduced new laws that were absolutely um, horrible. And for expressing your opinion, literally for standing in the middle of a square with a sign saying no war, you will go to jail for years. And people mm. already have. So there is almost no space for people to express their opinions because they will be prosecuted. Which of these two things would be the most popular? We have a very strong country and everybody around the world wants to admire us. Or I want to live in peace and I want to have a family and I want to try to you know, make a, a good career and, and uh, you know, uh, have a family i can travel and stuff like that which one of those is more popular the people of russia the first one really absolutely without a question and putin knows this really well and he has known this since he came to power over 20 years ago and because he understands the russian psyche because he understands that they still feel that they have lost the status of the superpower which was incredibly important for them mm. because they lost all these territories you know it was one soviet union and then collapsed into 15 different republics right. that is still a very painful issue for them and that's why putin was presenting himself as this strong hand and the person that restores russian glory on the international scale and that's why he also knew that every time when domestically he would start losing support, when his polling numbers are going down, he needs to go and have a successful, quick war. And it works like magic for him.
Several times we have seen that when he invaded Georgia in 2008, that his rating jumped 20% after he stole a quarter of that country. And we saw exactly the same thing in Crimea in 2014, that for the next two years, his uh, rating and his public support in Russia was sky high. That's one of the reasons why he invaded Ukraine, because he knows that's how he can get domestic support. Wow. It's just, <clears throat> this whole thing is uh, amazing, because it's just, it's politics at its worst in a lot of ways. All right, we're going to take a break, come back, and we'll wrap this up, although we could talk about this for about eight hours <laughs> or longer. Uh, 8.46 or News Talk 98.7. Stay with us. That sounds like something Putin would say. Just keep your eyes on the road and your hands on the wheel. I'm driving this country. Bob Thomas in for Phil from Newstalk 98.7. Our special guest has been Natalie Rice. We're going to try to, I don't know, even wrap this up in a few minutes, but because um, yeah, we could talk about this for a long, long time, and we really don't even know where this thing is going. Natalie is an expert on, on Russia and Putin. And I want to start with... Um, uh, how do you think this Ukrainian invasion is going to end? What would take be your guess? I mean, what what needs to happen for Putin to have a success out of it and save face and get out of it? That's an incredibly difficult question because mm. the way what Russia wants and what Ukraine wants are very different things. Yeah. And Ukraine would not stop fighting unless they get all of their territories back. And based on how people feel in this country at this point, and based on the support for their president Zelensky, they want to get Crimea back as well. Wow. Of course, Putin cannot afford that. So mm -hmm. it's a very volatile situation. He cannot lose because he will lose that popular support. As soon as he loses the war, it will put him in the situation where he might lose the elastic support. And as an any authoritarian leader, he knows that can end really badly for him, the way it did for Gaddafi years ago. Mm -hmm. So he cannot afford to lose face either. Do you think uh, that, uh, I mean, how many of the people in Russia, what percentage of people support what he's doing? You know, the latest uh, numbers that I have seen, again, from the Levada Center, which are the best pollsters in Russia, is he's still hovering at about 70% support right now. That's pretty high. I mean, That is very high. U.S. presidents get maybe 50%. Right. Uh, so if, if you live in Russia, are you seeing the atrocities of the whole thing, or are you seeing all the reasons why we should be invading, invading Ukraine? It depends on what information sources are you using. If you are watching Russian TV, as the majority of the people in the country do, then you are absolutely supporting the war. Because what the Russian propaganda is saying, they are denying any atrocities. They're saying we're fighting Nazis in Ukraine, which, of course, if you're using those words, mm, really yeah, resonates with the Russians after the Second World that's War. That's like I'm fighting Satan. Or exactly. Yeah. And, if you're being, and if you're being told that if we would not have invaded Ukraine, they and NATO would have bombed our cities the next week, which is literally what they're being told. Mm -hmm. And that gives you this narrative in your head where you can turn away and say, I support the war effort. Well, do you, how long do you, do you think Putin would use nuclear um, war? I don't think this is off the table, as, as horrifying as it is to say. But I do think that we're talking about tactical nuclear weapons, which is actually to use them in the war in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying it's not off the table because, again, he cannot afford to lose because he probably would be out of power if that would happen. Is he ill? 
I've heard stories. He's sick. He's this. He's that. We have heard many stories, but I don't think we can base, you know, U.S. policies based on hearsay. No. I think we need to do it based on our strategic interest. And how much longer can he be in power? I mean, if he's in his late 70s? He is. He is. I think if he would not have started that war, he would have been in power for the rest of his life. But that's a very big question right now. Well, well, Natalie, thank you for being with us. This has been very informative. And uh, I, I just feel bad for both people, but the people in Ukraine and people in Russia that are going through this. Thank you, Bob. I really appreciate being with you today. It's been a, a great. And uh, I'm so glad you're here and doing that study. Have a great new year. I understand your father's going to be here. Yes. We're celebrating years together. That's fantastic. All right. Have yourself a wonderful new year's and uh, tell your husband. Hello. Dean Rice, uh, who is well-known in Knoxville as well. 856, um, News Talk 98.7. Stay with us.